0: hey everybody welcome on into the in the open podcast i'm one of your hosts jay selmer i'm also joined with eric sir and uh gabe walsh today we've got a pretty cool guest on we've got david from uh ridgeline hitman you want to introduce yourself
1: hello i'm uh david crane um yeah i uh have an instagram page and it's uh ridgeline hitman it's just me uh taking photos and videos of everything I do outdoors. So yeah, I'm pretty excited to be a part of this podcast.
0: He's got some pretty cool stuff on there. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, where are you, where are you located there, David? I'm in Washington
1: state on the West side. So I like to call it the jungle. Um, <laughs> we hunt some very, very thick things. Uh, and, um, you know, we hunt uh, white tail and black tail and meal deer and Roosevelt elk, which a lot of people don't get a chance to hunt.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, let's see. Uh, when did you when did you start hunting, man? Were you like a would you come on it at, at an early age from like a mentor or were you like a more later in life discovery?
1: I I actually started later in life. Um, I want to say I was 28 or 29 years old. Um, and it was right after I had my first son, uh, I've always wanted to hunt. I grew up fishing and, and, uh, camping and doing all the things outdoors. I just didn't have anybody that hunted, uh, in my family. So I wanted to be able to teach my kids if it was, you know, daughters or, you know, boys or whatever, something that I wouldn't learn in school. Um, and they're definitely not going to teach you that stuff, at least where I'm from, um, any, any types of, of hunting and really just being able to do it on your own. Uh, so I had a little bit of time to try to get um, proficient at hunting before I started teaching my kids. So that was the reason why I started hunting was to teach my family
2: how to provide on their own.
1: So I've been hunting. I, I just turned 40, so I've been. This is gonna go into my 11th, 11th or 12th season. So I'm still, still learning every single time I go out. And I oh, know, you always are. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, and the wind is a factor. Don't <laughs> you gotta get the wind right. <laughs> <laughs> Learn that really fast.
0: That's cool. The Killswitch Outdoors guys. We interviewed them yesterday, and they they were all about like teaching the youth and stuff too. None of us <laughs> have kids yet, anyway, but. It's like really important, you know get the get the youth involved with that kind of stuff,
1: well yeah, well, you're just you're 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 keeping hunting in the forefront um yeah i I started late hunting um but that has completely changed my whole life and and my families because um they know when it's when it's hunting season, dad's gone like i'm 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 out hunting, I'm doing my thing uh to try to put meat on the table so um it's
3: it's definitely a priority for sure you know and it's just really important too, just to just keep those future generations being involved with hunting otherwise you know it just will be a lost art if we don't keep those people interested and you know with you talking about hunting what is your favorite species to hunt then
1: uh to be honest uh elk elk is is probably the funnest thing to hunt. Um, it's extremely difficult. Uh, I hunt primarily with a bow, so I don't make it easy on myself anyways. Um, but we all know hunting hunting is not easy. It doesn't matter if you're shooting five or 600 yards on a, on a target or not, you still have to be precise with the weapon that you have and, and practice. I, I, I shoot my bow every weekend. Uh, I try to shoot my bow at least three to four times a week, just in the backyard, um, rifle. Uh, I, I try to shoot that a few times. Uh, you just, you have to be proficient with your weapon or you're never going to, you can get on as many animals as you want and something could be very, you know, very minutely off. And then all of a sudden, boom, your hunt's over because sometimes you only have that one opportunity and, you know, you gotta, you gotta get it done. Oh yeah.
0: You got to be really proficient, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to uh, ask you something related to that. Uh, You said your favorite are the Roosevelt elk. Will you talk about kind of the hunting style that you use over here? It's uh, like archery where we're calling a lot, um, a little spot and stocked. And when it gets to rifle, it's almost exclusively spot and stock. So will you kind of touch on some of that, what it's like in Western Washington?
1: Yeah. Um, A lot of your shots are going to be, I would say, within 40 yards on an elk. Um, Number one, uh, it's so tight and and the brush is so thick. Um, Don't get me wrong. You will have those opportunities to get some distance on you. But um, most of the time, the brush is – I'm not kidding. The ferns are at least five feet tall. And I'm not a tall person. I'm like (laughs) 5'8". So – um, sneaking in on animals is good just because the brush is so thick. But sometimes you'll have a um, an elk at 35 yards and you can't get the shot off because there's just no no clear sight for a shot, and it's extremely frustrating because you know you could have a bull screaming in your face and you just can't get a shot off. Um, that pretty much happened to me this this year. I had a six by seven bull at 35 yards, 40 yards, and I couldn't shoot them.
0: Yeah, it's pulling yeah. them that extra little bit. I, I, I imagine it's especially tough when you got to pull them like 15 yards. We struggle to get them to that like 40 yard mark. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um. So I would say we our, our techniques aren't any different than your guys. Um, we do a lot of spot and stock. Um. That's usually how we get our game plan going. We, we spot them. We we call them in as as best we can. Uh, A lot of cow calling. I would say, you know, you, you are using your bugles a lot, but once you start trying to break that, I would say within 80 yards, depending on what the bull's doing, you can almost stop bugling and then just try to sneak in using those cow calls. I found that here this season, actually,
4: we owned a spot that's just hunted with so many hunters, and it's so saturated with hunters just bugling all day long that I found when we would get on bulls, if we bugled, they would almost round up their cows and get out of country, and so cow calling was the way we really kind of kept them around and kept their guard down a little bit, so I almost exclusively used cow calls. I only had a couple of days where the bugles were actually getting them going pretty good. So, yeah, we, I mean, I had that almost exact same experience with that.
0: What's yeah, nice though. Months. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, you're okay. Um, What's nice though is that when you are in a highly hunted area and you know that like, okay, that's, that's a hunter up there calling. Yeah. As long as they're far enough away, you can kind of use their bugles to your mm-hmm. advantage. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure. You know, obviously you don't want to mess up someone else's hunt. Um, you know, I'm not saying that, but if you know they're they're bugling from the road and, or wher- wherever, and you're down in the mix, it's like, all right, well, I'm gonna use this guy's thing because he's pretty much hunting from his truck, and I'm in here. So yeah, try to use those bugles to your advantage, and that that could definitely help.
0: So you kind of mentioned uh, that little story with the with the elk. Do you have any like really memorable hunting stories off top of your head? Uh, yeah, my first and only Roosevelt bull
1: <laughs> shot with my bow just a couple years ago. Um, you guys want me to? Yeah, elaborate.
0: That? Tell the whole story. All right. Man. All
1: right. Um, well, I hunt. I hunt with a with a party of guys, and there's usually uh, three of us: uh, my buddy Dave and um, our our good friend Luke. Um, we are on a 11 day elk hunt and, uh, when I hunt with those guys, I usually go into the back country, but, um, when I hunt with uh, my buddy, Dave and Luke, we usually do it out of the RV. <laughs> so we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, it's uh, we call it glamping, <laughs> um, you shower every day, you know, and <laughs> it's nice. But that particular day, it was, I think it was day five or six. We have been on elk, but it was very sporadic. Uh, it was, um, the weather was not good. It was a little smoky. It wasn't super bad, but, you know, if you guys ever watch the news around summertime or even shoot, even in Montana, there's fires all over the place. Oh, yeah. And it was one of those years where, again, some fire smoke from, um, from Oregon and from uh, Canada that year. So, every once in a while, you'd have, like, it would look like fog in the middle of the day, but it's just smoke. Um, that particular day, I woke up, and I was actually not feeling well. I was I was super sick. I just hung out at camp, just laying around, watching movies, <laughs> you know, still en- enjoying my elk hunt just in a
2: the different
1: way. Yeah, uh, <laughs> vacationing, uh, which... My wife still doesn't understand like, Oh, you're on vacation, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, we're, we're walking like 30 miles a day. This is not vacation. This is
0: got a job to do.
1: Yeah. Grueling. <laughs>
0: but it was just,
1: but that day I was, I was on vacation. I was just chilling. But, um, uh, Dave and Luke spotted some elk and they, um, came back right around lunchtime. And they're like, Dave, we spotted some elk up on this mountain. You, you got to toughen it up and, and head out. And I was like, all right, man. Um, Come to find out, I was actually having gallbladder uh, problems. Um, I actually had my gallbladder removed uh, not too long after that, so I was I was in a lot of pain. I was doubled over, just not doing good. And they dragged my butt out, which I'm so thankful for those guys doing that. Um, <laughs> we we um, made it to this gate and we walked in, and you know we we were glassing up this hill and and boom we we see uh i think it was like 12 cows and just one bull uh he wasn't the biggest bull in the world but he was the only bull in the herd so um we kind of formulated a game plan and i was with luke uh we came in on one spur road that the elk were still at the very top of this 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 hill Um, and it was it was straight straight up and we're like all right well we're we're still like a thousand yards away from these guys or however far it was. It was far. Uh and, and the ten by forty they, twos they were not they were not very clear. <laughs> <laughs> um and then Dave was actually coming up from another spur road from the bottom. And he was probably I don't know, half mile uh further down than we were. But Luke and I spotted the elk and he was like, All right, man, well I'm just gonna stay here. I'm not gonna try to make it up this hill. Uh Luke, Luke has a, had a, a bad knee at the time and he actually had to have surgery later on after the, after the, um, hunting season to have his knee repaired. So he wasn't trying to go up this hill. So I looked at him and I said, Luke, I'm going to go to the top. and He looked at me and he gave me this funny look like, yeah, man, good luck with that. like <laughs> All right. See ya. <laughs> I gave him a little thumbs up and I was gone. So I backed out probably like a quarter of a mile and started head straight up this hill and I made quick time of that hill. I made it to the top and pretty much like stripped down almost butt naked to like (laughs) stop the sweat. (laughs) Um, so, and, and it was nice. I mean, the wind was blowing. I was seriously up there, pants down to my
2: boots,
1: (laughs) trying to, trying not to, to, you know, break up the sweat because I was getting ready to drop down on top of these hills. So I make my way uh, so actually before I left, I actually spotted on my on where where the where i the like little pocket of woods that they were in mm-hmm. um so I started making my way to that point, and I started dropping down um to where I thought these elk were, and I'm you know taking my time going fairly slow, and all of a sudden they're right I'm right on top of them um, i'm Happens like thirty 35- five like that yeah, I'm like 35 yards from all these elk. So I like drop down to my knees as fast as I can and I'm just like, "Oh crap. The wind was the wind was terrible. <laughs> the wind is like kind of like almost blowing right at them, and I was like, "Oh, look, Here it goes. I'm done." And instantly the wind starts blowing back into my face and I'm just smelling elk. I'm I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, this is, it's it's going to happen." You know, my first my first is going to go down, but it sounded like they were starting to run off down, down the hill towards Luke. I was like, all right, well that's nice, but let me see if I can get them to come back because I just spent an hour climbing up this mountain. (laughs) So I just (laughs) do like a little cow call and I kind of threw it back behind me. So I put my hand over my mouth and kind of threw it back behind the call kind of back behind me. And it was probably two to three minutes later the lead cow comes up and she's at 15 yards. And I'm like, well, looks like the bull's not getting a shot today. I'm going to smoke this cow because <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, the unit that we hunt, it's a three-pointer better or antlerless. So okay. we, we can shoot Perfect. cows. Um, but then all of a sudden, more cows start showing up. More cows start showing up. And then all of a sudden I start seeing these antlers breaking through the trees and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, here he comes. Here he comes. And then uh, I'm shaking like a leaf. I am I have cows at like 15 yards. So I'm like trying not to, to move or do anything or, you know, breathe because they're right on top of me. <laughs> and I'm just shaking like a son of a gun. And uh, finally he pops out and it's right at 30 yards. And I'm having a heck of a time pulling my bow back. Yeah. And I am shaking so bad. <laughs> and I've never been like that. <laughs> like, I'm shaking. my bu- I'm like, there's no way I'm going to shoot this freaking bull. I'm shaking like nobody's business. I can't even get it back. And I finally just take a breath like, Dave, you can do this. And then ooh, I draw back, send the arrow. I actually thought I missed him, to be honest with you, because everything just took off. I almost get ran over by a cow. <laughs> <laughs> the bull heads down, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing this blood spraying out of him. And I'm just like,
2: "Yes!"
1: And he just tumbles over. <laughs> he probably went like 45 yards down, straight down the hill. And uh, that was it, man. I, I, I was just so happy. It was, it was crazy. I'm like getting goosebumps just talking about this. Uh,
0: oh no, I feel it too. That's <laughs> fucking awesome, man
1: it was it was insane it, and it, the hill the hill that i was on is wide open there's there's hardly any brush because it was just a um clear cut pretty much and so the little pocket of uh trees that they were in was just something that they left so they leave these like little when they at least in the area that we were at they leave like little v type of uh, like trees so all the underbrush is all Smashed down and everything, and I was seriously in the open. I had like one little log like out in front of me. I was, don't know how the elk didn't see me because I could almost smack one of those cows like right in the butt. Like they were they were on top of me. It was crazy.
0: It's when the but, when the good gear is worth the money, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was crazy, and I I called up uh Dave and Luke, and I was like, pull down, pull down, you know, and they're like, ah, oh, you know, BS, and I'm like, no, and I send them the pictures, and they're like, we're coming straight up the hill right now, <laughs> See, they they come running up the hill, like, holy crap, <laughs> it was, it was awesome, it was definitely worth the, the pain and agony of, of, of the hunt, it definitely was worth it, and it, right after that, my stomach didn't hurt. For the rest of the trip <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <for sure. laughs> it was uh it was great that was probably my my favorite accomplishment for myself um yeah it was that was that bull um haven't had any opportunities since been very 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 close but uh hunting roosevelt elk i was explaining before we started recording you know the born and raised guys make it look so easy um and it definitely is not uh they they have a honey hole or something um but but at least for my group and we we give it our all we you know we're out there giving it 110 percent, and sometimes it just doesn't happen
0: oh yeah sometimes i wonder if there's some private land involved there you know Oh, yeah. Elk, uh,
1: you know? Yeah,
0: you never know.
1: <laughs> you never know. You
0: never know. They just seem like good guys anyway. But yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, they got a lot of good companies backing them, too. So, I mean, if they were... They would have been caught by now, to oh, be yeah. honest with you. Like, they would have been caught by now if it was something like that. But uh, those guys are good. They're just good at their craft, man. Just they've been in the in the elk for you know how many years and they're just smacking them down and smacking them down and smacking them down and i know i know it's going to happen for me in the same way because we're on elk every single year um, i actually called in a bull for my buddy Luke this past year he just he missed him so it, it it's going to happen might not be me i don't care if it's me as long <laughs> as someone in my party if we can get down an elk i mean that that's
0: that's a hunt well well deserved And also, like those failures, they really, they really help build you and you understand like what you did wrong next time and you're going to start making more better decisions. And that in turn means more success.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, every single hunt, if you're not learning something, then you're not doing it right. Um, You know, either it's a success or a failure. Um, I actually don't say any hunt's a failure just because you, you are going to learn something. So, for me, this year, I was a um, shooter and a caller, and I would have a a bull hang up at 80 yards dang near all the time. And, you know, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And it's not anything that I was really doing wrong. It was I wasn't able to cut the distance being the shooter and the caller. So, it would have been nice if I would have had a caller with me or a shooter in front of me. And we would have had it done easy. 'Cause I had this bull come in probably six or seven different times, but he would hang up at about eighty yards. And the bull that actually I had at thirty five yards was a raghorn bull that just happened to walk <laughs> walk right in front of me. He didn't he was came in super silent. Like I didn't even hear a stick break or anything. He just walked through some really thick crud right in front of me and I was like, Well, how did I not hear this guy? <laughs> it was insane.
0: Gabe, you had a question here for David?
4: Yeah. And I didn't really want to backtrack and maybe this will be a little bit of a long question. Oh, that's uh, okay. I met a guy this past season who had, uh, grown up in Chicago, never done any hunting, um, never went with like his parents or any, you know, role models. So he got into it when he was about 27 or 28 and, um, never had any success and, uh, was just trying to figure it out on his own. So I just kind of wanted to know, like, how did you approach not having that experience as a kid, um, coming into hunting? Was it like, did you have other hunters around you who kind of took you in and helped you out? Or did you watch YouTube videos or did you just kind of go out in the woods and learn as you go? Uh, like what was your experience with that?
1: Um, kind of all of the above, to be honest with you. Um, the first two seasons, I pretty much hunted on my own. Um, the first season, so my brother-in-law and I took hunter zed together and we ended up hunting together so he was maybe in his early to mid 20s um when when he started And our first season we went out and to be honest i went to an area where i used to see deer when i would go dirt bike riding as a kid and they closed that area down for any motorized vehicles okay so i was like well this might be a good spot so go out there our first season we're on we we just hunted deer that year uh we were on deer we just never had it Get it, got it done. Um, and I was rifle hunting. I rifle hunted for my first couple seasons. And when I actually shot my first deer, I was like, "Yeah, that's that's too easy." So I started uh, <laughs> hunting with a bow. <laughs> um, and it, it yeah, it, I it, it seemed easy for me because I shot a deer within like first shooting light. <laughs> like sun came up, boom, deer was dead. I was like, "Oh wow, well, that was easy." Well, now when I get a multi-season tag and I actually go. Uh, rifle hunting it's not that easy it's actually extremely hard so that kind of punches you in the face a little bit it's the irony of it nothing's easy Um, so for me yeah a lot well there I think now there's a lot more out there Um, (laughs) now there's uh, podcasts um, YouTube uh, all the different TV shows that are actually on YouTube um, that you don't even need cable for I, I would say, um, when I really started diving into hunting and trying to learn more, I actually went to a gun club um, and got around a lot of like-minded people. Uh, and when I did that, I started picking their brains. Um, it started to get a little bit easier. Um, Onex is is awesome, awesome tool, yeah. or, or if you use base maps, base maps is also a really good tool. Uh, base maps, I use both base maps is about the same price, but you get the whole country.
0: That's Uh, super nice.
1: Yeah. So if you hunt out of at a state, um, you don't have to actually buy like another, another state. It's already there. So base maps is really nice to use. Um, I would say it loads a little bit slower uh, when you're trying to bring up your maps and everything, but it, it, it works. Um, But if I was to give that um, gentleman any information, if he has no friends around him that hunts, um, so I uh, Dave and I went to high school together, and Luke and and Dave have been friends since they're like babies. Um, they actually brought me in when I started bow hunting. Um, and that helped out a lot, just learning from those guys. Uh, uh, Dave is one of the best out callers I, I know, and I learned a lot from him, and uh, obviously it's it's been working out for me uh, learning out calls and everything, but just the the tactics alone. To be honest, you're not going to learn that from anybody. You you have to go and, and learn on your own. Um, just because certain situations, it's almost unteachable. People can tell you all they want until you actually go out and do it. Um, so I, I believe the, the tactics and all that stuff, you can you can kind of get a generalization of what to do, but until you're actually in it and doing it, um, I, I think hands-on is the best, but any avenue, I, I would say check out all the hunting podcasts because every single one of them is different. You're going to learn different information. Check them all out, all of them, um, and then pick the ones that that pertain to how you hunt. Because uh, I mean, there's a lot of them out there that are tree stand or blind hunting. I don't do any of that. Uh, I tried tree stand hunting one time and. My my butt got numb and my legs got numb and I was like, eh, this is not for me. Maybe when I'm like 80. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's so many avenues out there that you can that you can learn from. It's it's ridiculous. Um, but if you really want hands on, you need to go out there and 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 learn on your own. I would say. I would say fail on your own, but you know, every every failure is a learning experience. So I, I, I don't think there's really a failure in anything that you do when you're hunting. Um, it's just a learning experience. So hand, hands on is the best way to go.
0: I totally agree with that. And it's nice just to I even if we're not seeing anything, it's just nice to be out there and like just being in nature. There's something something about it, like spiritual connection. I'm not spiritual by any means, but just you have a deeper meaning. I don't know. Don't want to get too philosophical with it, but yeah.
1: No, but there is. I mean, that's a real thing. Um, uh, you know, I I I'm a church going person. I go to church and um I always just call it God's country. Just you, you go out there, you're you you can be in your own thoughts and I do a lot of the a lot of that out scouting. Um I, I think scouting scouting is an awesome tool. It's out of season. Right. If you get on animals, you can actually kind of fake a pursuit on one. Um, As long as you don't just, you know, start bumping animals out of there. But I mean, you can kind of learn how animals react to things, um, what they're feeding on. Obviously, you know, when you're scouting, sometimes they're not going to be in that area when it comes to hunting season. But um scouting is an awesome tool. I love scouting.
3: Scouting is it, it's great. I love it. Yeah, sure thing. And, you know, just being able to get that first experience outside, you know, cause there's definitely, if you're training for hunting, you know, reading stories, podcasts, listening to them, it's just going to be those experiences where, you know, you're not going to be able to have that first time, you know, you can't prepare for that situation where you see that elk at 30 yards, you know, maybe you can put as many bows in the 3d target as you like, but nothing's going to replicate that adrenaline in the moment and just being able to Experience that it would be
1: is pretty important. Oh yeah. Definitely. Well, like I said, I, I, I shoot my bow a lot. All of a sudden this bull walks out at thirty yards and I'm shaking like a leaf. Like how do you <laughs> there's no there's no training for that. Like I've shot my bow thousands of times and I'm just like Oh my gosh, I can't pull my bow back. <laughs> What's That's going when you on? like
0: hope the repetition is just there. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The well yeah. So they say muscle memory, right?
0: Like
1: yeah. I had to actually tell my body do this. <laughs> like what's going
0: on? Here? Yeah, muscle memory doesn't help that
4: much when your
1: muscles don't want to work.
0: <laughs> Something like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I can't I can't even train like that. Like I've done I've done the like go run a mile, shoot your bow, go run, you know, blah blah blah, shoot your bow. That's simple. Like I can do that, you know, all day. Like you can't replicate your muscle shutting down. Like what, what is that?
4: Yeah. It's, you can't like the adrenaline is just almost indescribable to people when you're in that close to an animal. It's just something that you don't experience anywhere else. And it, it just happens when you're that close. You can't, you can't do it in practice really. It's. So it's just, I mean, that's where experience comes in. Just the more of those experiences you have, the better you're able to kind of control yourself and learn how your body reacts and how you calm down. But you can't really practice that other than just getting out in the field and getting those experiences.
1: Yeah. And and that's why I say just, you know, going out there and learning and learning the best you can. Obviously, if you have friends that have hunted and all that stuff, it's good to learn from them as well. Um, But when you're put in a hunting situation and, and it's game on, like you're putting a stock on an animal or something like that, the only way to learn is to actually do it. There, There's no For sure. and at explanation. Least,
3: definitely. And at least these you know telling people these stories and stuff will at least make people aware of hey when you see an elk at 30 yards you may freeze <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah it happens <laughs> it's a giant it's... fucking animal just like yeah right
2: there. <laughs>
1: and it sucks so uh the year before that i shot a cow and i had like no problem and that was at 12 yards and i mean it was breathing on me <laughs> it just ran straight up to me Bloop, no problem Whoop.
3: done that's pretty impressive yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it dumped over. So, it did like a jump up and just fell right over. I was like, ooh, that was cool. <laughs>
3: <laughs> for sure. So what would you say the kind of equipment that you would like gear, that kind of stuff that you would be sure to bring out or just recommend? What would what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, to be honest, you get what you pay for. Um I've gone from the cheapest of the cheap stuff just cuz you know starting at a later age you don't know what gear to get you really you really don't and i and you know if you you grow up hunting you know you're going to see those kind of mistakes as you as you get older but when you got to buy it on your own and it's not your dad buying it you're like man this stuff's super expensive so i went cheap and and the stuff didn't last so i would say you need to get yourself a good pair of boots
0: yep yeah. agree.
1: A good pack, because if you're packing meat out, you don't want your pack to fail. And there's plenty of companies out there um, that have awesome packs. Uh, For me, I use XO. Um, It's a great pack, but I know people use some Glacier, Kafaru. I mean, we can go on and on with with packs. There's plenty of packs, but I would not skimp on a pack. Um, If you're looking at the price tag and you're like, oh, man, it's $500. Yeah, it is, it might even be a little bit more, but you're going to get quality quality item that's going to last a long time. Um I would say a good set of binos. Um yeah, you don't need the swaros. I mean, if you want to go and spend that much money on on a pair of binos, go for it if you have that ability to do that. Um but you want really good glass. Um I would I would say especially if you're spotting and stalking, depending on where your region or unit or whatever that you're hunting, you really need to know how many points are on, you know, a buck or a bull or or whatever you're hunting, you know, some areas where you're hunting bears, it needs to be a boar. For me, that's hard to determine. I, that, You know, big heads and ears spread apart. You need to know all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So a good pair of, of binos or a spotting scope, I believe is is as necessary, and then um gear uh, gear can keep you on the hunt um, if it's cold if it's raining um, your gear uh, I would say if you're starting hunting buying purchasing all of your stuff is gonna be a huge hit on your bank account but you get what you pay for. I would not skimp out on any of those things, but just boots pack binos are like your main, your main thing that you don't want to skimp on. Um, if you don't mind buying gear every single year, yeah, go cheap. I mean, but for me, I, I kind of just, I'm a hunter on a budget, so oh, like I just shame. can't go and drop a whole bunch of money on stuff, you know, but um, so I, I wear kuyu kuyu I really like kuyu. True yep uh i would say sitka first light uh any of those are are going to be an item that's going to last and it's more sport fitting so when i first started hunting you know i'd go to cabela's or whatever and just go buy their whatever cabela's gear and that stuff was like super baggy did did not fit right you know so when you're going over logs or something like that and I don't know about you, but we have a bunch of downfall everywhere. So you're always constantly going over downfall and lifting your legs up and all that. And if you're wearing some baggy pants, that makes it even harder.
0: (laughs) And you're ripping and catching on things, you know? Yep.
1: Yep. So yeah, I I wouldn't skimp on gear. You definitely get what you pay for.
0: Before we diverge from gear here real quick. um, We do have a couple questions. Uh, This one pertains to this. So, uh, it's from Montana Sportsman. They sent it in. What are your go-to hunting boots?
1: Oh, um, I wear Krispies. Uh I have a Crispy Thors, the Thor 2s. Um, I would say don't wear the regular insoles that come with them. Uh, buy an actual, like, decent insole. Uh, I just went with, uh, I think they're... Um, I didn't get the sheep feet. The sheep feet cost more than the boots did. Uh if you, yeah, if, you sure. the, <laughs> if you have them if you had the money to do that, I do recommend it though. Um uh the sheep feet insoles are awesome. I can't remember what insoles I got, but I I uh did not I wore the insoles that came with them uh for the first season that I got them and to be honest, my feet hurt so bad. Like after the elk season, I didn't want to put my boots back on. They hurt <laughs> super bad, but um I put different insoles in them and I've been wearing them doing archery shoots and stuff like that. And they're like night and day. So definitely if you get the boots, get some insoles with them. Um, But mine are crispy. So I I like them a lot.
2: Okay. Yeah. Do you guys have a lot of rain out there?
4: Is rain gear kind of a big part
2: of kind of your gear setup?
1: (laughs) I know you're joking, right? You know, you know where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, it, uh, so there are like four or five months out of the year where the weather is super unpredictable. Uh, it rains, it does rain a lot. We are very green here. Um, especially on the West side, it's very, very green. Uh, and it does rain quite a bit. So even during September when it could be, you know, a hundred degrees, I still have my rain gear inside my pack. Um, and, and a puffy, just because it can go from early morning, you know, when it's dark 30, when we're trying to get into where we're going in, it could be 40 degrees. Um, and then all of a sudden it could be 90 degrees that day. So I, I have my rain gear and I have a puffy no matter what. So, yeah, it yeah. Rain gear. Yes.
0: How does your you rifle hunt still? Or are you exclusively archery?
1: No, I still rifle hunt. So when um, fall bear, or if I get drawn for spring bear, I'll I'll, I'll
0: um, use my rifle. Okay. How does yeah. your uh, How does your gear setup change between those two seasons?
1: Um, it really doesn't change a whole lot. Um, maybe let's see. So our fall bear starts August first, so it's hot. It's extremely hot. Um, uh, The KU pants that I have, I'll usually have the guide pant or the pro pant, and I don't have an underlayer on. I just, and I have the zippers in the back, like, all the way down, so I'm getting full ventilation. Um, Then they just came out with the, it's like a 50 FPS, um, like, hooded, like, little shirt, but, I, I mean, it's extremely thin uh it's nice to have the hood because the hood will keep your neck from burning or the tops of your ears from burning um and i and i wear that um i would say going into september uh i might have um like a like an under armor pant or a kuyu that have like the um a lightweight uh like i don't know stretch pant like a uh but you can unzip it so if it starts to get too warm you just pull your pants down just to your boots and they they'll come undone without taking your boots off Uh, i'll use those um when it when it gets back into like october november um i'll have my rain gear usually in my pack um and uh a guide pant and a guide coat and that's pretty much it i mean my my gear doesn't change a whole a whole lot um I would say I always have my puffy and my rain gear, no matter what, even in
0: August. Okay. Um, yeah. You never know you... in Western Washington, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you could be on top of a hill and you could see this wall of rain coming. Like, oh, crap. Here we go.
0: So just, I'm, I'm going to diverge just a little bit. Yeah. So um, I know in Washington they do, like, a lot of timber cuts, and in order to access that, you have to uh, you have to pay, like, a timber company. Yep. And I don't know what the public land situation is. This is kind of a two-parter, so just kind of touch on how uh you access that, what type of public land is. And we also got another question from Ryan Thompson. Um he wants to know like pros and cons of the block management and stuff like that.
1: Um
0: sorry, it's kind of a big one. If you want to just no, chunk it up however you want to uh, approach uh,
1: it. I would say the timber companies. I I pay to play is what what I call it. Um over on the west side it's really hard to find state land or BLM land or any anything like that. Um most of it is timber companies. So instead of trying to find those little chunks where it could be over hunted big time, uh at least on the west side. On the east side it's a little bit easier. Um, it's extremely steep, uh, in the state lands. Um, it's extremely hard hunting. When I hunt mule deer, I, I, I'm over on the East side and I like hunting deep in the back country and the really steep, nasty stuff. And I go in deep because I know no one's going to be back there. So I can have a whole mountain range to myself, which is excellent. Over on the West side, everything's so thick. You don't even, you, you wouldn't even know if there's a hundred or a hundred hundred yards from you in some situations. Um, so I, I pay to play. Uh, I, I pay for a timber pat pass. Um, and to be honest with you, most of the elk are in those, in those areas. Uh, and it's, what's crazy is that they're in huge mountain ranges where they own all this land. Um, there are, there are, you know really large chunks but it's extremely hard hunting because you're not hunting the 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 animal you're hunting other hunters if that makes sense um you, you could be going down into some steep nasty stuff and then it's like oh that guy's really good at elk calling like <laughs> like dang it he tricked me um so a lot of the time is is pay to pay to play you know just got to pay for that timber pass it it's it sucks it's expensive it's not cheap um
0: but worth it though you know you're getting into elk and yeah yeah
1: and we've we have our area kind of down um yeah it it, it's it's fun but i'm more transitioning towards the east side so i think once my buddies are kind of we have one coming in from tennessee he moved to tennessee um uh, last year and I think once he's pretty much done coming back to Washington State, that's when I'm gonna go to the east side. Just I'm on elk all the time over on the east side and just waving at him, you know, it's hey, like <laughs> it
0: public land and stuff too, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now the block management, um I don't really get into any of that stuff. <laughs> That's fair. Totally fair. Um, I know I know for a lot of um the west side, uh you can get yourself into some into some trouble just because one timber company might own one section and then another timber company might own another section. So like you need to call the other timber company and see if like, hey, do I need a pass for this or is it walk-in only? Um, you know, is it, is it still legal for me to hunt in here type stuff? So, um, there's, there's a lot of areas like that. There is a lot of state land too, but for me, I haven't really gone into some of those areas. Um, it's definitely some opportunities that I want to get into and and scout more because I would like to save some money. Oh, Um, for sure. These, uh, timber, uh, passes are super expensive. And one year I bought two. That was
0: a bad Oof. mistake. <laughs> it's not. I, I bet you it's kind of nice too working those timber patches because they they clear cut and then provides that habitat and you're not really having to trudge through all the thick shit all the time. You yeah, know?
1: and that's a lot of our glassing is in in some of these different uh, clear cuts um, because like I said they will leave like these little patches of timber in there and sometimes during the day that's where they're they're bedding down and is in those little timber patches so y- you can catch them now getting a play on them is a whole different story but as long as you're seeing elk you're, you know you're in the right spot
0: and if you're in elk you know you you got a shot yep
1: definitely and that's that's what you want you want that opportunity it doesn't matter if you blow them out or not you still want the the opportunity in, in, you know, to get the pursue on on an elk or
2: any animal at that particular point. Should we discuss block management here in Montana to answer
4: that question, just from a Montana perspective? Yeah, we
0: can we can kind of touch on it. Uh, I'll, I'll go my perspective, and you guys can kind of get into yours too. Um, I think block management's great. Um, it just one person can fuck it up for the whole the whole crew you know um if someone disrespects someone on their land they could just shut it down for everyone especially like some of the places that we hunt it's a lot of those like flatlands or blm and sign in and it would just really suck to see someone screwing it all up
4: i will say like a lot of the land we hunt the block management isn't great land but the thing it does here is pretty much gives you access to forest service beyond the block management which is yeah really nice because it would be really hard access to that state land or um forest service land um if you didn't have access over that block management so that's really helpful and there's some some decent block management hunting uh for elk i haven't found great block management hunting but for deer especially in eastern montana uh it's so privatized over there that you really have to take advantage of all the block management you can find and so it's definitely really nice from those landowners to you know give the public access so make sure you're signing in in the sign-in boxes if you're hunting the block management so we all
0: can continue that access and they get paid per sign-in so it's a
3: good deal for everyone you know for sure yeah definitely especially especially it just gives, you know, people more lands to be able to access and recreate on for hunting. And it just kind of helps spread people out without those lands, you know, we'd be confined to even fewer lands and be running into more people.
1: Yeah, we have a a lot of the block management um, over on the east side, Um, but it's more probably actually similar to Montana. It's more deer country. Um, Mm -hmm. We actually did see 2016. Um, we did hunt on one of those lands and it was actually someone's property. So we went up to the the lady's house. We actually did chores around her house um, <laughs> <laughs> to, to get a little bit more access uh, to different parts of her property. She owned a ton of acreage and she was like, oh yeah, we own this property over here and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh, well, why don't we cut some wood for you. And do you mind if we hunt over there? <laughs> and, Perfect. Uh, yeah, it was actually really awesome. But yeah, there's, you know, the sign in sheets and all this other stuff. And um, we actually had dinner with the family. It was, it was actually the coolest experience I've ever had. And I, and I shot a deer off her of property. So it was really cool.
0: That's awesome. There's some good people out there, you know, just got to treat them right.
1: Yeah, definitely. You don't want to mess that up. And you don't want to mess up the opportunities for mm-hmm. other people to hunt that. Um, it's extremely important that we have these lands to hunt and you know we need to be stewards of the land and do the right thing. I know there's people out there that don't, but I mean I would say that 99% of us were all good good dudes, good people. Oh yeah.
0: You want to you want to talk about the fitness that you have to attain while hunting for elk over in your neck of the woods. I don't really know how mountainous it is. Over here it's like you're going to get your ass kicked, even if you are in shape, you know?
1: Yeah, I would I would say there is no um, real way to do it, to be in shape for a mountain. Uh, because it doesn't matter how good a shape you are in or what you think is good shape, you're going to get your butt kicked. But for me, I don't stop working out. Um, I don't stop. There, There isn't anything like... Oh, I need to get in shape for hunting. No, I just don't get out of shape. Uh, I keep on the grind. I usually work out in the gym Monday through Friday. I'm pretty lucky I have a gym at my work.
0: that's nice. Um,
1: So, yeah, my lunch breaks are um, me working out. Uh, And then, you know, on the weekends, like I said, I shoot my bow a lot. Um, We have this walkthrough course, and it's up and downs and, you know, all this other stuff. And then, uh, I'm constantly scouting I'm in the mountains quite a bit. Uh, I, and it, I usually bring my family along with me too. When I'm, when I go out, my oldest son started hunting a couple of years ago. He's, he always goes scouting with me and I would say he's in more shape, than, better shape than I am. And he's just a little <laughs> kid. <laughs> well, actually he's not too little. I mean, he just turned 14. The kid's almost as tall as I am. So <laughs>
0: it's crazy.
1: Yeah. He's a little beast. Um, yeah. So it, I don't know. It would be hard to tell somebody like, Oh yeah, you need to get into shape for hunting. Like I would say if you're new to hunting, start getting on a stair stepper, put grab your pack, put some weight in it, go walk around your neighborhood. Um, but I would say fitness is, is key only because for me, especially if I hunt solo, I'm on the grind all the time. I hardly stop. Like I need to like have like little alarms that go off on my watch that say, Hey, you need to eat. Cause I will just, I will keep on grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh man, I'm, I'm super tired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I would, I would say more, you, you need to be in the gym. If you're not in the gym, you need to be, uh hitting the biggest hill that's in your neighborhood over and over and over and over again, uh, especially if you're coming out West, let's, let's say you're, you know, in Florida or something, you want to go hunt Montana or Colorado or Utah, or wherever you may be, there's Idaho. Idaho is like probably even the West sides of Montana. It's steeper than steep. Like you go look down something you're like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> it just keeps on going. It doesn't stop. Like where is the bottom? Um, But you need to be ready for that. I know if I was to go get an elk tag in Idaho or Montana or anything like that, they're going to be in that steep stuff. You're going to have to go down there and then you're going to have to take your butt back out. So, I mean, you need to be ready for the nasty, nasty stuff. And, And I don't think you can do that just, being on the couch you you need to you need to grind uh i would say anybody hunting the west you need to be prepared for the nastiest stuff you've ever seen in your life
0: Yep, yeah, not fun and then you got to deal with the elevation too oh yeah
1: yeah people that's that aren't factor.
0: accustomed to that you know
1: yeah i i don't know what it, i haven't hunted colorado yet but i I have no idea what it'd be like to start off at like twelve thousand feet. Like that's uh, that's nuts. <laughs>
0: Whole new, just completely different. <laughs> that's some to. thin air up there. Yeah, yeah. I want
1: to get after it over there, but um, man, it would it would stink to be sick for like two or three days just trying to acclimate to to the terrain over there. That would suck. Yeah, I
4: think that's an important note if you're. If you're having, if you're coming from Florida or something on the east, and you're gaining all this elevation, don't push yourself too hard on the first couple days. Because no matter how good a shape you're in, your your lungs and your body's just not going to be able to handle it. So you have to ease yourself into that elevation. It's don't don't put yourself in a bad situation because you just want to push through some of that, especially with the elevation. Because there's nothing you can do about it. You're just going to have to let your body adjust.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that and that's exactly right too. You really need to listen to your body, and when when your body is saying, "Hey, you you can't move anymore," just stop. Just stop. <laughs> use listen that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, use that opportunity to glass or something. I mean, I I think glassing this steep, high country is is your best bet of seeing animals. Um, because usually if you're just trudging along, you're just going to start kicking stuff up and then boom, your opportunity is gone because now they're in the next County.
0: <laughs> For sure. You can cover more country with your eyes
3: than your legs anyway, you know?
1: Definitely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, a good pair of glass. And
3: especially if, yeah, and especially if you're pushing yourself too hard and you finally get in the spot and you're just shaking or your breath is just super heavy and you're just shaking and keeping your rifle or bow unsteady, that's going to impact your shot.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're you're already done before the hunt started.
4: I mean, I had one of those this year where I hiked up this hill, didn't glass in the bottom, got to the top. I picked the left side instead of the right side. When I glass back across to the right side, there was a group of 30 elk up there. Oh. I've never ran. I ran down the hill. I ran across, ran up. I was about, I got to about 800 yards when they cleared out of there, and I just never got back on them. So, yeah, you can save yourself a lot of time and energy and give yourself a better opportunity if you just sit behind the glass a little bit longer.
1: That's a hard thing, though. I mean, because number one, you're just excited to be out in the woods and enjoying what you, you know, what you're out there to do, and that's the hunt. And and it's extremely hard to like really calm yourself down. I mean it. Mm -hmm. A lot of hunting is just a huge mental game.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, for sure.
1: So, if you can get your mental game right, like, one of the people that I really like to listen to for for podcasts, and he actually doesn't do them anymore, is Remy Warren. Remy Warren's closing the distance. Like, I'm I'm really upset that he's not doing it anymore. (laughs) I mean, his last episode was at the end of 21, and, I mean, you can learn learn a lot from that podcast. Um, so anybody out there wants to listen to Remy Warren speak, I mean, the dudes, uh, he was a guide for years and just, a just an awesome hunter. Um, he, his mental game is, is like top notch, top notch mental game. And, uh, if, if a lot of hunters can get their mindset, um, Right for the situation. I mean, you, you should be successful every single time you go out. And I'm successful as in finding animals, and you know, the 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 uh, not in a tag. That's like the cherry on top for me. The successes are just like seeing animals.
0: I actually, um, I commented on one of his posts here just a couple days ago, and I was like, dude, we missed your podcast. Blah blah. blah. You're gonna have another one he actually responded and said that he's going to have, he's working on something that should be coming out pretty soon. So I'm sure awesome. it'll be similar to cutting the <laughs> distance, but that made me really happy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's awesome to listen to. Um, I actually learned a lot the last couple of years, just listening to his um, <laughs> podcast. So
0: it, he like really goes in depth, you know, really <laughs> covers everything you want to know well it's really good because it's if you're a
4: beginner and you've never set foot in the mountains it's good to listen to and if you've spent you know 30 days a season in the mountains it's still you're going to learn something no matter what it's for all levels and it's strictly there to educate hunters and kind of help them give them some tips and tactics on you know being a little bit more successful so yeah definitely worth a listen if you got some free time
1: yeah definitely and you said it just right too tips and tactics i mean that's like his That's his thing. (laughs) It's, uh, It's great. And obviously this podcast too, I mean, listening to other people's stories and how, you know, they've, they've pursued animals or how they pursue animals or, you know, the gear that they're using. I mean, these are all things that people need to know if they're new or if they just are having a hard time figuring things out. Like for me, for me, I'm The worst black bear hunter on the planet Mm. because I'm not finding these things anywhere. And usually, if I do, it's like, oh, there's a black bear, and it's like taking off. So that's that's something that I'm I'm working on. Um, that's my first black bear tag, so it's been on the top of the list now for a couple years, and just haven't been able to get it done. I just haven't been able to glass them up. I haven't been able to see them, and it is extremely frustrating for me. So, you know. Uh, these podcasts like this and other podcasts out there you know learning the information that you need to know and just trying to become a better hunter I mean that's what we're all trying to do is just become a better hunter
2: oh for sure and I think that difficulty is just
4: part of the draw I mean if we went out like like you said when you shot the deer it just felt too easy we
3: we're not out (laughs) there
4: for easy stuff that's (laughs) why we hunt elk and bear and it's we're out there to challenge ourselves and so that's kind of definitely one of the draws to hunting and especially elk hunting and black bear it's just there's a lot of years you'll go home without filling the freezer with elk meat or black bear meat so it's just kind of you're always going to be learning you're always going to be figuring something out and some seasons you'll shoot one opening day and some seasons you won't see one until the fourth week of the season so it's just yeah that's that's part of the fun
1: yeah and I I think if it was if it was that easy everybody would do it Mm We wouldn't be having all these uh, outside entities trying to get rid of hunting. To be honest with you, um, yeah. it, that's a whole nother topic, and that, and it sucks that we're kind of going through this with our with our nation and all these other states that are getting their uh, hunting privileges taken away or trying to. Um, it yeah, it sucks, but for For the hunting community you know uh, it's been great seeing how everybody's come together and tried yeah. to help out not even their home state, you know California what was it arizona Arizona just lost all their privileges for game cameras like
0: yeah. Utah you know, too, like, and then a lot of i think yeah. new mexico maybe they they lost trapping a lot of trapping privileges and
1: it's just so. people's opinions, too. It's not anything mm-hmm. science-based. Yeah, literally, you know, it's so.
0: the social science.
1: Yeah.
0: Ugh, it's frustrating. Yeah.
4: Well, and the, these people say they're trying to save the animals, and no one wants the animals saved more than hunters. If we didn't have the animals, we'd have nothing to hunt. So we're all about having healthy populations and seeing lots of animals. So in conservation, I, I think as hunters, we care about the animals at least as much if not more than any of the population who's totally against hunting. Yeah, I
2: would, uh,
0: yeah, sorry. Yeah, go I ahead.
1: Would, no, I would totally agree. And and we know quite a bit more than the regular population about these animals. Mm-hmm. Like we need to know what they're eating, where they're sleeping. Yeah. You know, all all those things and it's like some of these people don't really even know like where to find these animals. They just mm-hmm. know that people are hunting them and they don't they don't want that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous
0: i just well, don't think they should even be at the table unless yeah. they can start forking out some like some hunting funds towards it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like like oh, dollars 100 percent yeah. saved so many species and there's so much money going into conservation because of that and i don't see any money from them right yeah
4: well they don't understand i mean here in helena uh the south hills is kind of up into the hills that surround Helena and every single year we have two or three trouble uh, nuisance mountain lions running through neighborhoods and there's actually an old news video of a black bear running down my alley and I'm pretty far into town so people on the east coast and people you know who don't have those animals don't really know what it's like to live with them and have them running in town and you know have your pets be at risk or your children be at risk if they're walking to school Um, A child's a really easy, you know, target for a mountain lion who's hungry and moving into town. So managing those numbers is really important. And it shouldn't be as simple as we don't like people hunting mountain lions. So we don't want them to do that. It should be looked at really, I think, region wise, even within certain states. It's a lot different here in the west of Montana versus the east. So I don't think, uh, you know, national standards on how we should hunt these animals
1: are the right way to go about it. Yep, totally agree with that. I mean, look at California. California has a huge mountain lion problem. Hikers are getting <laughs> killed every single year, but yet they keep it the same. So pretty soon, hopefully the, you know, the camel's back will break and they like, okay, now 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 20 people are dying a year from mountain lion attacks. So, yeah, we can manage it. We can help manage that. Just allow us to do it
4: we can manage it without hurting the population of mountain Mines and without hurting the species there and keeping them at a very sustainable and healthy level where they don't need to attack people. Yeah, so yeah. it's a win-win for yeah. everyone.
1: Even if they were just to do a limited tags for certain areas where there are no where there's a high rate of cougar attacks. Mm-hmm. Make it a draw. Yeah. I mean there's so many different ways you can manage it to make it to make it work. So okay. Yeah, it is what it is. It's never gonna stop. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: I have a lot of faith for the future though. Like COVID, it uh, brought a lot of people close to the outdoors. Actually, brought a lot of people, made a lot of people like get interested in hunting. So yes, there's good and there's it. bad in that, but hopefully more good, you know.
1: Yeah, I actually have a a friend um, from work. He's always hearing me talk. I've, I've worked with him for. 10 years or something like that and he's you know known that that I was a hunter and all this other stuff and he was finally like man these stories sound so awesome he went out and bought a bow and then next thing you know he did his hunter's ed and he was like I'm ready to hunt man let's do this so we we shoot bows and stuff all the time and he's going to be hunting his first season this year and he's 30 just turned 36
0: that's awesome man
1: Yeah. so I'll be I'll have a new hunter that I'll be <laughs> uh taking underneath my wing. So him and and my son. So
0: yeah. So why don't you talk about how you started Ridgeline Hitman and uh where that kind of originated.
1: Um very simple actually um I I wanted to show what the outdoors uh look like to the general public. Um and it's beautiful. Um, and then all my hunting adventures, uh, take a lot of photos and videos. I try to video as much as I can. Um, I do have some videos up on YouTube. Uh, (laughs) they, YouTube is hard, man, uh, getting subscribers and everything. It's not easy. Uh, and, and that, and it helps if you actually put things on the ground, people want to see, you know, things on the ground. And to be honest with you, it doesn't usually happen like that. So I'm just a normal guy doing, normal things out in the outdoors. And I just wanted to share my, my story, um, doing that and the name, the name, I usually always hunt from the top going down. So, uh, I'm usually up on a ridgeline glassing and doing my thing. And the hitman is just, you know, there's animals that you kind of put on your hit list. Like you've been glassing up an animal. Like I want that one. Like that's the one that I'm going after. We need to find, we need to find that one that we're going to go after it. So, um, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's just me. So a lot of the filming and all that other stuff is, is either solo or I'm, I'm filming, you know, one of my buddies, but, uh, yeah, It it's uh, doing any type of solo hunting. That is like the most difficult thing alone and then trying to film it. Like, puts a whole nother aspect of difficulty to, to hunting. So some of the times during like late season when it's like, man, I got to feel this tag. The cameras are at home. <laughs> like oh yeah. It's uh, the cameras stay at home. It's, it's, uh, you know, 200% effort going into trying to fill a tag. Um, but it, it's, it's fun. I like, I like doing it. I like, um, showing, People, uh, you know, my state of Washington, not a lot of people um, show what Washington's all about. Um, I'm really grateful for the and Wild guys because they, they hunt Washington and they show, they do a lot of deer hunting. Um, I know they're getting into a lot of waterfowl and stuff like that, and they do have a couple elk hunts, um, but most of their hunting is done on the east side. So um, the east side looks... Looks completely different than the west side. Um, it, yeah, it's completely night and day. East side doesn't have as much foliage on the ground. Uh, it's less jungle looking.
0: Um, it's real arid, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's beautiful country. It's really, really nice. Uh, actually, it looks much like Montana. Um, I would, I would say you guys' stuff is probably a bit steeper in some of the spots, but uh, we do have some really beautiful mountains and country all, all over the state. But um, yeah, I just wanted to show my story and, and just keep it rolling. Let's see what happens.
4: Just a, a quick comment. Cause I, it's so funny when you, you said you put like your hitmen cause you see certain animals and you put them on your hit list. And I mean, even this year, you know, hunting the same spots, this, if you're seeing the video, of the bull behind me, me and him played chess match all year long, <laughs>
0: all year long.
4: Getting in, you know, week after week, getting in on the same bull. And it, it is funny how you almost develop a relationship sometimes if you're hunting the same animals where you know what animal's there and it's just playing that game of cat and mouse. It's it's something that you can't really describe. You just have to experience of being in there and uh, just being with those animals. So I, I just thought that was kind of funny. What's
1: I want to add
0: something too. Sorry.
1: No, so I was like going to say year, what's going to be great is that you're going to get onto that bull again.
0: <laughs> you're yes,
1: going to be like, dang, he lived through the crazy winter, and he's back. Yeah, yeah he's I'm He's going to be on the it. list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm hoping the to find list. his
4: sheds. Yeah, I'm hoping to find his sheds and just get right back on him this
1: year. It's going to happen. It's
0: so like last year you are talking about developing a little bit of a relationship with the animals. Like um, on my black bear hunt, I glassed up this black bear. And he kind of sat down and a little scratched his ears, like just sat down. It was weird. I don't know. And <laughs> for some reason in my head, I'm like, dude, this guy reminds me of my uncle. He's got a big old belly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Munching on some food. That's awesome.
3: <laughs> well, that's a cool thing with that, that kind of experience. You know, it's not just limited to hunting. I know my wife and I, we have a list of fish species we'd like to catch and just like you know, it's just a couple pages of just like you know, rainbow trout, brown trout, and then out everything to like pumpkin seed, just like those little fish and everything in between, just like lists of fish just we want to catch and just be able to see in person.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what's that's what's nice about about the whole aspect of just the outdoors in general. I mean, your your list could be like I want to hit this mountain range. You know, I've never been back in this mountain range, so. Everybody has, you know, their own little list, and it doesn't just need to be be hunting either. It could be mountain yeah. biking or hunt, you know, hiking. It doesn't even fishing. I love fishing, man. Oh, so fun. <laughs> where you're hunting the waters is. <laughs> yeah, and there's a little bit more prey. Pretty much,
4: you know, a little uh, bit more. Prey, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. At least in a confined area, you know, you know where they're at generally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: So you want to talk about uh what do you want to see with like the future of Ridgeline Hitman? Where do you wanna be in like a year from now, I guess?
1: Um, in a year from now, um well I, I wanna actually do what you guys are doing. Uh I, I would like to start a podcast or even just be a part of of a podcast. Um I think I think it's fun. Um I mean, having these conversations you know, with amongst each other or even bringing in guests. uh, I think a lot of people can, can learn from that. Um, I believe podcasts are an awesome learning opportunity for, you know, new hunters or people that are just trying to like little, even this little bits and pieces that they can get off of a podcast. Like, Oh, I've never thought of that. Or I should try that piece of gear or, um, I really do need to try to cut the distance or be better with my weapon or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, someone can actually just catch those bits and pieces off of a podcast. Um, and, and I would love to be a part of that. Um, and uh, I would like my YouTube channel to, to grow just a little bit, maybe just a hundred more subscribers would be nice. I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to get paid from it. It would just be nice to reach more people. Uh, and sure. show and show them my style of of hunting, um, which is you know similar to a lot of other people, but they're not doing it in Western Washington. So, you know, hunting hunting Roosevelt and and blacktail deer isn't something that everybody can do. Um, Roosevelt or in just a couple states, uh, blacktail are just in a in a very small range of of, of mountains. You know from Northern California, I mean, they go all the way up into like Alaska and stuff. But still, I mean, no one's hunting those over on the east side. No one's hunting that stuff. Even in my state, blacktail don't aren't even on the east side. So hunting hunting blacktail is is awesome. It's extremely hard. Uh, the gray the gray ghost is is real. Like they <laughs> seriously really only come out at night. So trying to catch them and and learn where they're going to be and stuff like that it's extremely difficult. Um yeah, the difficult level for western Washington hunting is you know, 200%. It it's extremely hard.
0: You definitely have some unique opportunities over there. You have a um, quite the plethora of game like with your east side of Washington, you got the mule deer, um and the uh whitetails, I'm sure and Obviously, the Rocky Mountain elk and the other side, totally different types of species. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and, and just hunting them is completely different. Um, hunting whitetail is super hard. Uh, you do need to be pretty much in a tree stand or a ground blind because they are super skittish. Like, they'll catch you from a mile away. I don't know how they do it, but they do. Because when I go turkey hunting, that's the other species. I love turkey hunting. Man, that's so fun. Um just because they respond. The animals that respond are funner to, to hunt than I guess the ones that you got to be, like, super stealthy on. But um, every time we're out turkey hunting, I, you know, my son was like, oh, there's a deer. He's like, how, how the heck did that thing see us? Like, because all you see is the white tail flip up and they're gone. Yeah. it's Like, oh, my gosh, it's like a mile away. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Washington is is completely different. Uh, Hopefully in a, in a year, in a year or so, I, I do want to hunt out of my state. I've never hunted out of my state before. So um, adventuring out and, you know, hunting hunting different terrain and, and different animals, because I, I guarantee um, the Rocky Mountain elk over in Montana or Idaho or whatever are going to be completely different than the animals that I'm hunting. They're, you know, they're going to... Um, react completely different to to certain situations and and that and the calling could be completely different as well so learning like they're different um they're different tactics and everything so yeah there's opportunities out there i just i just need to get out there and do it because i'm not getting any younger
0: (laughs) (laughs) only get so many opening days you know
1: yeah exactly
0: What hunts do you have uh, planned this year?
1: Um, Well, I was supposed to go to Florida and hunt uh, hogs and and turkeys, which I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. I just switched uh, jobs. So the time off might not uh, line up, but um, definitely uh, fall bear. Uh, We don't know if we're going to have a spring bear season um, here in Washington State. That is uh, going to a vote in March 21st. So it's completely, it's not completely out of out of our reach for a spring bear season. But it's also a draw. So not everybody can just go and buy a spring bear tag, which I don't think a lot of people know about. Uh, it's not an over-the-counter tag. Uh, it's it's a draw. So you have to put in for it, and then you get you know drawn for the tag. So everybody that puts in doesn't get a tag, which I don't know why they're trying to get rid of a spring bear tag. I think where it's not even a percent of spring bear tags get filled. So, uh, well, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: <laughs> why what I read, what I read was uh, they were concerned about sows with cubs getting shot and literally one sow that was lactating or something like that got shot last year, which is like, that's, that's weird. I just I don't understand the reasoning. We don't have to dive down, but that's what I kind of read anyway.
1: And yeah, and, yeah, you are correct. Uh, one sow that was lactating, which can happen. I mean, a sow can lactate, but she might not have cubs because those cubs could have got eaten. Or, or died at birth yeah. and, and she could still lactate. So if that's going to be a factor that. Uh, I'm not sure how that would be. Because in our state you can shoot a sow. Now, if you're glassing up a, a bear and there's no cubs around, shoot the dang thing.
0: It's more they're than sh- likely a boar. You know, they're they're by themselves. You know.
1: Yeah, most likely. And, and if if you haven't been bear hunting long enough or or just done your research, it's really hard to to pick which one's a sow and which one's a boar. Um, Usually, a, you know, a boar will have a more blockier head and their ears are more spread apart. But if it's a young, a young boar, one and a half year old to two year old, you're not. They're not going to look much different than a sow. Unless they put on a, tons of weight, uh, you're not really going to be able to know. So, yeah, I don't know. It, hopefully, March 21st, it comes back to a vote and we get our spring bear. Back here in Washington, but if not, um, August 1st, I'll be um, going after the elusive black bear for me. I I usually I hunt black, I hunt these bears for so long and just walking around, glassing up everything, and just marking off another another mountain range. Like, yep, they're not here, (laughs) and just go to the (laughs) next one. So uh, yeah, I'll be doing that, and then um, uh, September 1st, I will be hunting uh deer for i have a five day hunt so i'll be hunting from the first to the fifth or the sixth or something like that um that'll be back in the back country and then my son has rifle season in october so uh we will be going out after Mill deer again so i kind of use my beal deer hunt almost as like a also like a scouting trip for his because usually they don't move very far from where they are in september then october unless it's like later in october because then the snowfall starts coming down and then they they kind of they're like right on that fringe of like deep snow and just a couple inches of snow so they kind of like hang out in the fringe um and then let's see oh i missed uh, elk season man uh, I, I actually don't That's know when. The, one. Yeah, I don't know when the actual season starts. So every year they it might change like a couple of days or so. So usually we try to hit the very first week. So I usually have a block of like 10 or 11 days that I elk hunt uh, in September. And then my oldest son might actually be um, bow hunting with me this year, um, which I'm super excited for. But uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see if that happens. Old we'll a
0: Passage maybe, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um but, but we'll see. We'll see if he um picks up the bow or not or if he wants to go um his rifle season it's rifle season's over here are not very long. So in October for deer depending on the days it's usually just like one weekend through that whole week till the end of the next weekend. And then that's exactly how long it is for uh, elk season as well. So if you're a weekend warrior, you only have a couple days of of hunting, which is terrible. It's not very long really at all. Yeah. So you're... Yeah. You need to know where they're at, or you're not going to get on elk at all. There's no feeling it out. You got to be on them.
4: <laughs> yeah, that ramps up the pressure. I mean, we're six-week archery, six-week rifle, over-the-counter. So we got... You're not feeling the pressure as much right away. You got a little bit of time, so I can't even imagine just having two weekends and the week in between to make it happen. That's that's a lot of pressure on you.
1: Yeah, rough. Our archery season is fairly long. So deer deer season is usually from September 1st to the 31st, and late season is like November I don't know November 21st through December 31st, and then uh, late season elk. I think it's like a week and a half for archery. Um, I think it's the day after Thanksgiving and it goes till I might go till like December tenth or eleventh or something like that. So I mean, archery season you have a lot longer time. I, I feel okay. bad, I feel bad for rifle hunters in in our state because <laughs> their their season is very short. But with this thick stuff, you're not shooting very far. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you can you can get on them still. I mean, a two hundred yard shot is is nothing. It's usually closer than that.
0: Eric and Gabe, do you guys have any questions for David that you were uh, kind of pondering over?
4: I think I've asked my questions. I'll, I'll leave that to Eric.
3: Oh, you know, I think we've covered a lot of it. You know, it's just really interesting. Just to kind of, sometimes I kind of get lost sitting back and just listening and yeah, it's, thank you though. It was awesome.
0: Did you wanna plug all your socials and uh where everyone can find you, David?
1: Yeah. Um so uh Ridgeline Hitman on Instagram and uh also Ridgeline Hitman on YouTube. Uh that's the best place to find my outdoor stuff and then I have another Instagram It's just me. It's a uh, David Crane. Um that has just uh, has a lot of everything. I do a lot of dirt bike riding and snowboarding and well I, I have too many hobbies, my wife says so <laughs> i I do a lot of crazy stuff, so yeah um yeah that's that's pretty much it
0: cool well, uh appreciate you having you on like we'll definitely love you on again- have you on again it was a it was a good time man
1: yeah, um, thank you for the opportunity to be on your guys' podcast and yeah. uh nice meeting all of you um hopefully here in the future, let's get a hunt going. I would love Absolutely. to uh come to Montana and, and check it out. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't even mind just, just coming out there and filming. Um, if we can't, uh, you know, figure out like a, a hunt or something that, that I could join you guys on, especially, I don't really want to know, like, you don't have to tell me all your secret spots, you know, like, <laughs> oh, those perfect. are, those are sacred to people, you know? So like, if we do get a hunt going, let's like pick a spot on the map where maybe you guys never gone before. So that way, it's like new for all of us. So yeah, not not finding the secret squirrel spots. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've only got like twenty new spots picked out. So hey, <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. But yeah, thank you guys. Um, this was this was definitely fun, and hopefully, um, you guys will have me on again soon.
0: Uh, Absolutely.
1: Because this was this yep. was fun. It was awesome.
0: All right. Yeah, we well, thanks for listening in. Yeah. Sorry.
4: I just said we love having conversations here new perspectives and stories. It's, it's as hunters, it's really nice to just hear, I, I mean, hearing stories, just I'm as immersed when I hear them as I'm like, I can feel like I'm there. So
0: yeah. Um, lots of fun. Things, some, sometimes, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Well, if and you just want to in that community too. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: If you want to stick on, we can talk a little bit after, uh, but we're signing off. Thank you guys for uh, listening in and we'll see you
2: next week.